Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Good morning, everybody. Or not so good morning. I'm just going to assume that uh, many of you are listening to this rapid reaction show a little bit later in the day. After going back to bed after that early morning Seahawks kickoff. And hopefully you can sleep, not have nightmares. That's what some of you felt this game was, a nightmarish game. The Seahawks lose to Tampa Bay 21-16 in the first ever NFL game in Germany. And I'm here to give you my initial thoughts, my rapid reaction, as the episode is called, and uh, and my big takeaways. As we head into the bye week, I've got some takeaways that, that I think tell us where this team is at these days. I don't know if you can hear the sirens in the background. Maybe that's uh, life support headed to the Seahawks locker room. I don't know. But look, uh, if you've listened to me for long, you know that uh, I'm not typically a sky is falling kind of guy. Uh, I take some good and bad away from this game. Um, but let me just, uh, I, not to bury the lead, but let me just tell you this right up front, and then I'll get into it in a little more detail. I think the bad from this game are things that we kind of knew and that the Seahawks have been masking for the last four weeks and that, and that might not necessarily be things that they can correct. They can overcome them. I don't know if they can correct them. Uh, but there was a lot of good from this game too. Not every loss is a loss. And not every win is is a, a slam dunk. But again, 21-16, the Seahawks lose to Tampa Bay. The Seahawks fall to 6-4 and four on the season. Um, how was it for you getting up early? 6.30 in the morning, Pacific Standard Time for the game in Germany, I've uh, I've got my. If you're watching the live stream, I've got my Seahawks coffee cup. I hesitated to have another cup of coffee because I don't know if I want to go to sleep after this or not. Look, I was talking to somebody about this the other week uh, or the other day, and uh, I like stuff like this. A lot of people were complaining about the early morning kickoff time. I like stuff like this because, look, it's ten o'clock Pacific Standard Time right now as I start recording this which means the first wave of games, the first window in the NFL right now is just getting started. And then you have the one o'clock games, the Sunday night game. You can enjoy the rest of the league. You can watch red zone, you know, enjoy your fantasy team, all of that. Um, and then we go into the bye week and, and same thing next Sunday. You know, it's is look as passionate as I am about the Seahawks and about NFL football in general. I like these little breaks, you know, um, kind of depending on what your lifestyle is, whatever, my days off from my regular job are Sunday, Monday. And so during the football season, you know, Sundays are taken off the schedule. So when you get a week like this, and then you get the bye week, and then you get the Thursday night game coming up, it's kind of fun. You get to watch the rest of the league a little bit closer. I am Dan Viennes. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. Um, let's start here. Let's just recap the game first of all, and then I'll give you my overall thoughts. And it, and again, I think I think we can take a couple things away from this game that are significant and that speak to how far this team has come, where this team is right now, 
and where this team needs to get to, not just the last seven games of the season, but next offseason, next season, to fortify this roster and get into a position where games like this aren't as much of a struggle. And they can win more often when they don't have their best fastball. You've heard me use that analogy before. This was one of those games. They did not come out sharp, as we've seen them. This team has come out looking like they had a good plan, and they've executed well from the get-go on offense for most of the season, save for the game in San Francisco. And defensively, certainly over the last five weeks. Today, they didn't. And you can blame the time change. The travel, everything else. Yes, Tampa Bay had to do it too, but they were three more hours ahead. This this game was reminiscent early on of the struggles the Seahawks used to have playing on the East Coast in those 10 a.m. window games. Remember that? That was a huge problem under the Mike Holmgren era Seahawks. They just would come out looking like it was 10 a.m. <laughs> and they weren't awake yet. That's how this one felt. They just came out sluggish. It started off okay. Three and out on the first Tampa Bay drive. Seahawks won the toss, deferred to the second half. Three and out. Here we go. But on offense, just couldn't get going. Could not get the running game going. We're going to talk a little bit about this Tampa Bay roster a little later on. But a couple of key things here that I don't think as I'm following all of your narrative on Twitter this morning throughout the game, I don't think it got enough attention. We know what a disruptive force Vita Vea can be in the middle of that defense. The former UW Husky star. But the Bucks got Akeem Hicks back today too. And that gives them two really stout run defenders in the interior. They also got Antoine Winfield, their great free safety back today from injury as well. And you could see early on, there was there were no running lanes. The Tampa Bay defensive line was winning the battle up front, really pushing, uh, just there were no lanes for Kenneth Walker to operate. In the meantime, uh, the Seahawks seem to be calling a lot of those slow developing pass plays that we've seen in the past. And overall, my first take on this first half, not a great, not a great half for Shane Waldron. Probably the worst half of football we've seen him call as an offensive coordinator since the San Francisco game. Um, just didn't make quick enough adjustments. Must have really seen something in that uh, defensive scheme that, that, that led him to believe they could get the ball downfield against this Buccaneers defense in the first half. They weren't getting the ball out quickly. And they weren't able to run the ball. And that's a recipe for disaster, right? First half overall. Bucks go into halftime up 14 to nothing. To put this in perspective, how this Tampa Bay offense has struggled more so than we've ever really seen a Tom Brady offense struggle. And until they beat the Rams last week on that last minute drive, which maybe that gave them a little bit of life. They had gone 30. I think the stat was they'd only scored three offensive touchdowns in 34 drives. They scored two in the first half to lead 14-0 at the half. And it was total domination. They ran 40 plays to the Seahawks, 20. They racked up 208 total yards to the Seahawks, 57. Third downs were a huge key. With a disclaimer, which I'll get to in a second. Tampa Bay converted five out of nine third downs. Seahawks were 0 for 5. 
including one where they had a third and one where it looked kind of promising. They were starting to move the ball and just a really unimaginative handoff to Kenneth Walker on a third and one. He got stuffed. Third downs were really the key. But to me, uh, and it's funny, I tweeted this out. If you go back and look at my timeline, at Seahawks forever. Uh, I tweeted that I thought second downs were the problem. And somebody uh, somebody else had tweeted it right on top of mine. Um, because the Seahawks were doing well on first down. Tampa Bay, really conservative. This has been a criticism of Byron Leftwich and how he's called games. Very conservative on early downs. They were running the football typically on first down, leaving them in second and longs. But that's where Tampa Bay was making their hay in the first half. And really that continued into the second half as well. Making big chunk yardage plays on second down to leave themselves to either get a first down or leave themselves in third and short. And they were converting those. Also at the half, Tampa had five explosive plays to zero for the Seahawks. They really had some big chunk plays. And they were making one theme throughout the game and it showed up late in the game too when when Tampa was trying to seal this one um yes there was a blown coverage for a touchdown yes there were some chunk plays where it looked like it looked like guys were wide open for the first time in over a month but there were also some big plays made by this wide receiver group for the Buccaneers contested catches and outstanding throws from Tom Brady there were moments in this game where Tom Brady looked like Tom Brady in case you thought maybe the ship had sailed on him at 45 years old. Uh, so we had to see some adjustments in the second half, right? We had to. Maybe the time change would kick in. The Seahawks would kick off, uh, would wake up. And we did. We saw an immediate adjustment from the offense coming out. The quicker pass game was back. Gino getting the tight ends involved. Will Disley with a couple of big strikes on that first drive coming out of halftime. They moved the ball down the field, stalled in the red zone, kicked a field goal to make it 14 to three. And can we just say um, there was a lot of consternation in the offseason about Jason Myers coming off a bad year in 2021 after being so good in 2020. Um, He's been really good this year. He just hasn't had any big headline kicks. He hasn't had to win a game. But in, in the moment when the Seahawks needed points, this was big because they had Failed on third down. And then there was a big penalty on DK Metcalf. Talking smack to an official after the play. And it moved the ball back 15 yards. Made it a 55-yard field goal for Jason Myers. And he nailed it. Uh, He's been good this year. And then, on the next drive, Tampa Bay's moving the football again. and, And they did something so dumb and it let the Seahawks back in the game. And, th- and this is one of those things, one of my biggest pet peeves. I talked about it after the San Francisco game. If you remember that red zone package that they used, the Wildcat with DJ Dallas and Ken Walker, they ran it a couple of times, and then Dallas tried to throw a pass down the end zone. He got picked off. It was just, I hate when something's working and you get too cute. Tampa Bay was moving the football efficiently up and down the field against the Seahawks defense. And then they tried to get too cute. They had run a direct snap play to, to Leonard Fournette a couple of plays earlier. And, and the commentators uh, made a point that Tom Brady was split out wide for that, for the Wildcat formation. Nobody went out to cover him. They could have thrown it to him. Fournette could have thrown it to him. He would have run for 20 or 30 yards. So they call the same play a couple of plays later. And they do try to throw it to Tom Brady in the red zone. 
And he's covered by Tariq Woolen, who picks the ball off. And then Brady gets called for trying to trip him as he's flailing to the ground. Gives the Seahawks new life. And this is where the this is where the game changed a little bit. The offense goes on a 10-play, 71-yard drive, and Geno Smith was really good. And this is about the point in the game where I'm starting to, to debate some people on Twitter who were saying, first of all, at halftime, the sky was falling. It's amazing how quickly expectations change, right? The Seahawks team was not supposed to be anywhere near 6-3 and three going into this game and playing as well as they have been and making it look legitimate. And then they have a bad half of football and and the sky is falling, right? That's why you hear the sirens again. That, that, that was you guys. That was a lot of you guys in the first half. And a lot of the blame, as it naturally always does, went to the quarterback. Geno's garbage. Geno is terrible. Geno's having a terrible game. Geno needs to push the ball downfield. Somebody was trying to tell me that. And I'm saying, do you have access to all 22? Are you watching Skycam? Because I don't see what's going on down the field. I'm not seeing the coverage. Tampa Bay's got a good secondary. They have a good defense. This team was fifth in the league in scoring defense last year and returned essentially everyone from that team. You can't tell from the TV copy if Geno Smith has things downfield he's not going to. But he was really good on that drive. Uh, He had five completions on that drive, gets down to the Tampa Bay nine, and then he did commit a... Horrible mistake. That might have been the difference in this game. He fumbled the football. Um, you know, you can make an argument on that one that he that he didn't have anywhere to go with the ball, or or maybe he had a throw to make. He had five guys out running routes. Uh, the TV copy, the announcers made it look like you know he took off so quickly that maybe he it was a designed quarterback draw. But the way the receivers were running, it really didn't look like it. Nobody was blocking. The offensive line was pass blocking. He tries to roll out to his left. He doesn't go into a, a clean slide. He's going to the ground. He fumbles the football. So a real waste of a promising drive. Best drive of the game up until that point. 10 plays, 71 yards. So at that point, you're thinking, okay, this is pretty tall order. Especially because Tampa marched right down the field and scored. 11 plays, 87 yards. A big play on that one. A 25-yard seam route to tight end Cade Otten, the former Husky, who's coming on the last couple of weeks. Really looks like a a developing weapon for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, Touchdown from Rashad White makes it 21-3. And at this point, the game seemed over. And that's when a lot of you, we saw a lot of I'm going back to bed tweets. Right? Um, In my defense, and you'll, you'll always find me, well, not always. Most of the time, you'll find me to be more patient and optimistic than most. It still felt like they could get back in this game. But but at that point, it's 21-3. to A wasted drive by the Seahawks. Geno fumbles in the red zone. Tampa marches right down the field and scores. The defense kind of looked like they were tired. Like they didn't make any adjustments that were effective in the second half. Primarily, uh, by the way, one thing that we saw today is it, is it looked like the Seahawks were extremely reluctant to bring any pressure, uh, to blitz or bring any extra rushers at all against Brady, that he was afraid they would he would eat them alive. And so they tried to pressure with three and four guys up front and just didn't. Just didn't really get near him. I don't I don't I don't 
recall a sack. I'm not looking at the official team stats right now. I don't think there was a, a sack officially. Um, and I don't even know that he was pressured maybe more than three or four times in this game. He stayed pretty clean. Um, so after that, it's 21-3. But then the Seahawks answer. So the things that we saw them do well coming out of halftime on the field goal drive and then the drive that ended in the fumble continued. And so for, for as much as I think Shane Waldron deserves criticism in the first half, I think he deserves a lot of credit for how he adjusted and, and, the, and the things that, that the offense did in the second half. You have to give him credit for that because it continued on this next drive. Five plays, 77 yards. Used uh, Kenneth Walker in the passing game. A couple of big gains to him. And then ultimately a 21-yard pass from Geno Smith to Tyler Lockett to make it 21-9. Went for the two-point conversion. There was really nothing there. So 21-9 is where it stood. And then things got really interesting. Just when you think there's not a lot of time left. Cody Barton comes up with the interception. I thought it'd be interesting to go back and watch the tape of this game again. I thought Cody Barton stood out. He made some plays today. Uh, But this one in particular, uh, it was one of those classic Brady throws. He sees a guy. Seahawks had trouble in the middle of the field the whole game. They had trouble defending the scene. Um. It looked at first glance to me like not a great game for Quandre Diggs. Just didn't see him around the football today. Not sure what's going on there. But the seam was an issue today. Brady's eyes got big and he reared back and threw a ball that he thought was going to be about a 20-yard completion. Cody Barton uh, did a perfect job dropping into his zone, jumped up, made the interception near midfield. Huge moment. Seahawks offense answers eight plays 45 yards later. They convert two fourth downs on passing plays on this drive, including the touchdown to Marquise Goodwin, who made an incredible diving catch on this one. On fourth and one, Gino rolling to his left. Gino was outstanding. He was huge on that drive. We've seen this now a couple times from Gino the last couple of weeks. Last week, after the, the terrible, the ugly pick six against Arizona, came back, played brilliantly the rest of the game to ice it. This game, after the fumble, after the fumble, Geno Smith was absolutely outstanding. And he was pretty good before the fumble, too, despite what some of you might think, just because the uh, the results weren't there. They just didn't score. So that makes it 21 to 16 with about four minutes left. So at this point, there's a chance. Seahawks kick it deep. They, they don't try for the onside kick, but you got to come up with a stop, right? They had all three of their time, timeouts at that point. Even if you give up a field goal, as long as there's enough time left in the game, it's an eight-point deficit. You'd go down and tie it with a two-point conversion, but they just the defense couldn't get it done at that point. Um, uh, they just seemed worn down. Jordan Brooks, by the way, turned his ankle on the drive before that. He was back on the field for this last drive, but don't know how healthy he is. Um, hopefully going into the bye, it just wasn't that serious. But Tampa comes up with a couple of couple of first downs um and again uh the seam going down the middle of the field there were two big throws from Brady uh to Julio Jones who was healthy again today and Chris Godwin um and Tampa was able to run out the clock and preserve the win uh 21-16 again the final so the Seahawks 6 and 4 going into the bye week and the sky is not falling did you have the Seahawks going 6 and 4 after 10 games no but we get a little greedy, don't we? As well as they've played and as good as they look, we get greedy. 
you start looking at the schedule thinking, oh, they can win all those games. Uh, but here's the good news, you guys. Uh, even if the 49ers coming off there by win today, they'd be 5-4. and four. Seahawks would still be a game ahead of them in the win column. Uh, and the 49ers play the Chargers today. No easy task. Coming out of the break, here's what it looks like over the next few weeks. Raiders at home. Raiders at home. Then you travel to the Rams. They've been scuffling all year. Then Panthers at home. There's a real good chance this team could be 8-5 and five at minimum going into that December 15th Thursday night football game at home against the 49ers. And that, with, that game could have, should have, massive implications in the division for the NFC West. And then they finish at Chiefs and then Jets and Rams at home. Uh, Geno Smith today, uh, overall, 23 out of 33, 70%. Again, 275 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, the one fumble. 115 passer rating. Again, you guys, he didn't get much done in the first half, but he came back, he bounced back. He was really good today. Here are my takeaways from this game. Heading into the bye week. Talked about the bad first half from Shane Waldron, needed to make quicker adjustments. He did. It was really impressive. Uh, The running game was non-existent uh, in this game, and that was a big factor. They just weren't able to get those chunk plays, and they weren't able to control drives running the football. But here's my biggest takeaway on this. First of all, let me make this point about Tampa Bay. We talk about perceptions and how the Seahawks has changed so much to the point that there's people disappointed, really, really disappointed that we lost this game today. Perception doesn't always tell the truth. That three-game losing streak Tampa Bay had before they beat the Rams last week coming into this game, not indicative of this roster. You guys, Tampa Bay was one of the best teams in the NFC last year, right? Just two years removed from winning a Super Bowl. And this roster is largely intact. Right? Look at look at the players on offense. Look at the receivers. Look at the running backs. Look at all those guys on defense. Almost, I think, all 11 starters? Or did they let Jason Pierre-Paul go from that roster last year? Uh, a defense that was fifth in the league last year in points against. So this was an experienced, good, talented Tampa Bay team that just wasn't playing well. Maybe they're missing Bruce Arians. Maybe this is growing pains for Byron Leftwich. But this Tampa team is pretty talented. Uh, but the biggest takeaway for me is this this just this game screams, if you didn't know it already, what the Seahawks' biggest needs are going into the offseason and into the draft next year. It's no longer quarterback, and we know that. In fact, we saw the reports from Adam Schefter this week, the Seahawks are very interested in signing Geno long-term. They're going to address that in the offseason. And they actually are thinking about bringing back Drew Locke as well, if they can, just keeping things intact. And maybe punting on quarterback altogether and using those extra picks on defense because that's where they need it. This team lacks, as good as some of the guys are up front that we like. We like Shelby Harris. We like Al Woods. We like Puna Ford. But this team lacks a game wrecker up front. They lack guys that are problems. Uchenna Nuosu is having a great year. He was he was invisible today. He was completely neutralized by Tampa Bay. Daryl Taylor was invisible. Uh, Boye Mafe didn't make any impact plays. Um, this team needs impact players in the front seven. And, uh, and possibly at safety, too. We're going to have to talk about that as the season goes along. But that's it. Seahawks, 6-4, and four, going into the break. You guys, look, this, this loss stinks. Um, 
but feel good about this team at six and four going into the break. Um, I've got some cool stuff lined up over the break. We're going to talk draft and not just quarterbacks now, like we thought we probably were going to if we had looked ahead to this uh, a month or so ago. Going to get together with Jackson Bevins of, of the uh, Phenomenal Cigar Thoughts podcast, also on field goals, and we're going to kind of exchange notes and talk about where we think this team is headed into the stretch and a couple other things up my sleeve too, potentially. So subscribe, uh, share this episode, review us if you like us, and stay tuned because there's a lot more to talk about. We're getting into the stretch run. A fun season is about to get even more fun. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Read fieldgoals.com and follow them on Twitter as well at Field Goals. Until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks.